All right, so here we go. Genesis chapter 38. This is a story of God killing men because they're evil. It's a story of sexual misconduct in a family. All the moms are going, mm, amazing grace. Uh, it's a story of a widower making a bad decision. It's a story of prostitution in church. Got a lot of aha moments. Story about redemption. How's that for an April Sunday? Right? You know what I'm saying? So last week, uh, we were where Joseph was sold into slavery. Remember, that's what we talked about last week. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. So this, and so as the Bible is written and the story is being told, Joseph, he's get carted off and he's off on like his clown car. You remember we talked about him kind of heading out with a clown car and off he goes uh, into slavery. And, and so then the story kind of takes a sidebar and it gets us here in Genesis chapter 38. So let's jump in. We'll read. The text will be on the screen if you want to follow. If not, follow along in your Bible. Here's what it says. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. That's the nice biblical way of saying he goes in and has sex with her, okay? Just so your nose confusion. I'll explain it to your kids later. Verse 3, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again, she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. Verse 6. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Right to the point. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Again, not the way we do things today. That was the biblical way uh, that they had planned for things back then. That's not the way we do things today. Verse 9, but Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give his offspring to his brother from the Bible. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. I mean, right? I mean, she's been with two of the brothers. What happened to them? They D-E-D, dead. And, and so she's like, uh, I mean, I got one more son, uh, but just, let's just wait till he grows up, okay? And we'll see what happens. Verse 12, in the course of the time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was, was comforted, he went up to Tenma to his sheep shearers. He came to his friend Hira, the Adolamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timna to shear sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance of Enyam, which is on the road to Timna. For she saw that Sheila was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. She was like, uh, what's going on? Uh, he's grown he's grown man. Nothing's happening over here. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought that she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come in to you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me now that you may come in to me? He answered, 
I'll send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you'll give me your pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. She, uh, so he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then, he, then she arose and went away and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah, verse 20, when Judah uh, saw the young goat, uh, sent the young goat by his friend, the Adolamite, to take back the pledge from the, woman, from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where's the cult prostitute who was in Enneam on the roadside? They said, no cult prostitute's been here, bro. So he returned to Judah and said, I've not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute's been here, bro. And then Judah replied, let's keep her, let's then uh, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she's pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out, let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent to her uh, father-in-law, by the man to whom this belongs, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify who these things are, the signet and the cord of the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she's more righteous than I. Since I did not give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, uh, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor... One put, uh, one, uh, one put out a hand, and the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread on the hand, saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Uh, if this isn't reality TV at its best, I don't even know, I don't even know what is. Uh, when I first read through this text, I considered doing a one-off today and passing this off to one of the other pastors to let them preach this text and go, you know what, I'm just going to do a church plant Sunday today and we'll just let somebody else uh, handle all of this uh, today. But alas, here we are. And so let me say this before we get started. Um, life is not linear, okay? Life is not some easy straight line that we live. Uh, life is not static. It doesn't stay in one place very long. Uh, life is dynamic. It's always changing, right? I mean, it's always changing. We go down curves and around, around curves, and we get curveballs thrown at us. And, and, and so we're never just in some straight line. This is what's going to happen next. And if I plan my life out, it's just going to fall down this nice, easy path right down the way. Every person in this room, whether you're, you're here or you're watching online or, or wherever you are today, are in some kind of process. We're all in process, literally, until we die. Our life is some type of process. People do things all the time that surprise us. I mean, don't your kids surprise you, parents? And they do something all the time that's just surprising. I got up this morning and one of the things that we talk about is, you know, just take responsibility for yourself. I get up this morning, first one up, shockingly, and the kitchen lights are on. The kitchen lights are on, and the lamp is on, and the, lamp, and the light is on in the pantry. And so somebody's been up. I heard them at 1.30 this morning, all yapping all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, we'll see if they make it for church in time tomorrow. All this stuff's on, uh, you know, but so kids surprise, they always do stuff that we go, come on, I've told you to turn the lights off a thousand times, but kids surprise us all the time. Our, does your spouse ever surprise you? 
ain't saying nothing. Uh, how about your boss? Does your boss ever do anything that surprises you? How about your coworkers? Do they ever do anything that surprises you? Your neighbors? You know, do something, you go, what in the world are they doing over there? Your in-laws? They not going to talk about that. Sure. Yeah, y'all moving already. Uh, church people, I'll just say that. Y'all surprise me all the time. Y'all always doing something. Yeah, everybody doing something. So, so people surprise us all the time. It's true in our passage today, true of Jacob's descendants, and it plays out dramatically in this story of Judah and Tamar. And so if you know the story of, uh, that's in our text today, you've already heard it, um, and so what, what's happened is, is that Tamar is actively, so she's taking action. She's actively preserving her line. The line of Judah, she is act- actively preserving. She's taking matters into her own hands. But if you dig a little bit deeper, what you'll see is the providential hand of God in preserving the offspring for Judah. This is God at work. And if you even dig a little bit more deeper on a little bit more personal level, Uh, you'll see how God's sovereign plan and purpose is bound up. It's really intertwined in the development of individuals. God's sovereign plan and purpose is bound up in the development of you and bound up in the development of the people we read about in the Bible. It's bound up in the development of your life and it shapes the people in our scriptures and God's plan develops and shapes you as he conforms you to the image of Jesus. He's always at work, the good, the bad, the ugly. He's always at work. And, and I hope that's some type of an encouragement to you today, that no matter what you're in the middle of, that the providential hand of God is always at work. Amen, church? Amen. It is. So let's dive in. Um, so um, Jacob's sons had known for a long time that Abraham and Isaac had warned against marrying the daughters of the Canaanites. They had warned him over and over. Those were those crazy girls you went to high school with. You know, uh, they were, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You know, those crazy girls. If you didn't raise your hand, you, you might be one of those crazy girls from high school that they, well, we all get warned about. Or they're the, go- the girls in college that you know were fun to take to a party, but you didn't want to marry. I, I mean, that, that's what they were talking about. The, the Canaan, they were like, don't marry those people. Just, just stay away from them, okay? Don't go marry them. Um, and, and back in chapter 24, this is what we see. This is what the text says. Uh, Abraham said, swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, uh, that you will not, say will not, will not take a wife for yourself from the daughters of the Canaanites. That's from Genesis chapter 24. And in, in chapter 28, Isaac reiterates the same thing when he, sent, um, uh, when he sent him off to Mesopotamia. Look what he said. Uh, he called Jacob and blessed him and directed him and say, you shall not, say shall not. You shall not take a wife from the Canaanite women. That's in Genesis chapter 28. So Judah, the fourthborn of Jacob, knew full well that he must not, say must not, must not marry a Canaanite woman. So this is what it's got. Will not, shall not, must not marry a Canaanite woman. That's what he told him to do. What does he do? He goes off and marries a Canaanite woman. Just like our kids, right? Man, you can warn them all you want to. Uh, you can, uh, kids, y'all need to listen to your parents. Hey, those kids right over here in this general section, listen to your parents. 
Listen to your parents. Your father is wise and listen to him. It's just a general statement. Whoever's sitting over there. Despite the warnings, I mean, despite the generational warnings, Judah goes off and does the very thing he's told him not to do. And so it happens whenever Judah goes down to this place called Adullam. It's kind of southwest of Jerusalem, and so that's where he's headed down. Uh, he visits this Canaanite named Hira and meets an unnamed woman that, we, that doesn't give a name in the uh, 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 text, just says that she's a daughter of Shua. And, and so evidently it was lust at first sight because the Bible jumps like right off into it. And so I don't know if this was like going to the club or uh, headed down to, you know, some beach resort, but like he was like there and he's like, man, I'm in and I like you and now's the time. Uh, uh, one commentator uh, said it was a union based on chemistry rather than principle. And so those, that's what the text says. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. Brown chicken, brown cow. I mean, that is... Uh, that is what happens in this particular text. And this woman, she was fertile as the Tennessee Valley. I mean, she was, uh, I mean, right away, she bore in three sons, Ur, Onan, and Sheila. Now, the first one's named Ur. And so I don't know, you know, all biblical names have some type of meaning. And so I don't know if because it happened so fast and she got pregnant right away, they were like, Ur. <laughs> Uh, I'm pregnant. I don't know. That's probably not it, but that's what I thought of whenever I was reading it. Um, so Ur reached the, the age to marry, and Judah gave him yet another Canaanite woman named Tamar. And so now the, this half a Canaanite Ur and this Canaanite wife Tamar were set to carry on uh, Judah's important life inheritance. That was the plan. That, that would be, that's where the inheritance would flow through, uh, would pass down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and that was passing on down to uh, Judah at the time. But Judah's sons were wicked. Look what the text says in verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Wicked, dead, boom. Said again in verse 10, look at verse 10. And what he, Onan, which was the next son, did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, so Ur was simply wicked, is what the text says, he put him to death. And here was Onan's death march. Um, so the existing marital laws at the time said that when a husband died without an heir, there was nobody, there was no will, there's no heir to whoever there was, that... Um, uh, uh, his brother was to marry the widow and to uh, 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 have children with them and so that that line could continue. That's what the plan was, and that's how, the, that's how it was supposed to go uh, in, the, in the Scripture. The son would not be the person that, that actually participated in the act, but his deceased brother's son. That, that's the way the laws were at the time. That's, that's the way it was supposed to be played out. The legal heir to the firstborn uh, privileges. In fact, the son would be given the name of the dead man. That's how, again, how it was supposed to be planned. So, oh, so Onan married Tamar, but refused to do what he was supposed to do because he wanted the rights for himself. That, that was the whole purpose behind that. If it didn't pass to him, if he didn't give there an offspring, then the rights would pass to him, and he would get to be, he would get to hold the rights to the offspring. Verse 9 uh, look what it says in verse 9. Let's go back again, and I'm going to read it because it is important. Verse 9. 
But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. Your Bible records things like this. And so verse 10 says, what happens? What he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Now, Tamar is a poor, young, twice-widowed woman. And then Judah kind of piles on after that. And look what it says in verse 11. Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house. Hey, you know what? Just remain a widow. Remain a widow till Sheila, my son, grows up. And then look what it says. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. And so Tamar obeyed. She, she did what was asked of her. She stayed in the house and she remained widowed for a long time. And, uh, and what Judah had essentially done was just basically remove her from the picture. Like, I don't know what juju you got going on over here, but we're going to just put you away and just kind of forget about you as the plan. And honestly, there were no legal options for a widow during this time. And so she was just stuck. Nothing for her to do. No place for her to go. No recourse for her at the time. And, uh, and so uh, Judah's birth line was facing extinction. Ur was dead. Onan was dead. Judah had kind of manipulated uh, a Tamar away from everybody. And so what was Tamar to do? That's the question. Look what it says in verse 12. In the course of the wife of Judah, this, so time passes by. And in the course of the time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. So, so Judah's wife dies. And when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers and his friend Hira the Adolamite. Judah's wife eventually dies. And uh, this seemed to be Tamar's opportunity that she had been waiting on. So Judah decides to go visit his old friend Hira, and, uh, he's, and, and, and uh, Tamar sees this opportunity. Because she was a Canaanite, uh, she knew how the culture worked. So she, she knew, she's like, I know how this works. I know how this plays out. I know how I can kind of take advantage of this situation again. She knew that these cultic prostitutes would be selling their services on the way along the road, and they would entice the men of that day uh, they would sell their services like fertility magic to ensure the growth of the crops. That, that's what would happen. And so it'd be like, this cult prostitute would be like, come on over here, big boy, we can grow some corn. Or maybe this cult prostitute over here would be like, hang on now, you want your cows to be fat? Come on over here, come into my place. I'm not even kidding. Or maybe it's, you know, you got the coup de gras and one go, hey, I, I, I'll get your corn and your cows. Just, just come on over to this, come over to my place. And that's what the cult prostitutes would do. And so they would, they would entice the men and they believed this kind of things that they, if they went in and they had sex with these women, that either their cows would be good or their crops would grow or whatever else. So Tamar decides to dress herself up uh, like a prostitute kind of take matters in her own hands uh, to produce an offspring for her dead husband. Look what it says in verse 13. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Enium, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given him to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face. She's got a veil over her face. 
Her plan was working just like she had thought. So things are going really well, according to her. Verse 16, he turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. Aha, the goats. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Now, let me say this. Grief is strong. Okay? Grief is strong. It clouds vision, causes people to make uninformed decisions or bad decisions a lot of times. Listen, listen, church, I, I, it's imperative that we stay close to the grieving. Our tendency is to have a grieving person and we just don't know what to say or we don't know what to do or we don't know what we might say that might upset the situation or we might make them cry more or we might make them remind. L let me tell you, grieving people think about their loss all the time, all the time. And so you're not going to say anything that's surprising. You're not going to say anything that goes, oh, I hadn't thought about my husband. Oh, I hadn't thought about my wife because they're all, oh, I haven't thought about my child because they're literally always thinking about these things. And so, so but we have a tendency to just leave grieving people to be and go, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to do over there. So I'm just going to stay away. But your grieving friends need you to be with them. Your grieving friends need you to enter into their life in the middle of their grief. You need to ask them questions. You need to be more intrusive than you think you've got the right to be. If you're a friend, if you're specifically in this church, if you're a part of this church family and somebody's grieving here, then you have an, almost an obligation to come and enter in with somebody in this church family. Ask them about money. I'm going to tell you, grief and trying to recover out of grief, and then what do you do with money out of that? It's cr you, don't, you can't think right about how to spend your money. You know what you ought to do, friend, brother, sister? Walk in and go, hey, can I help you with that? I, I see you making some really bad decisions here. You might want to think about what you're doing with your money. You got a financial advisor? You just figuring out this on your own? Talk about family. Hey, what does your family dynamic look like? Are, are you caring for your children? Are you, are you giving attention to them? Are, are you spending some time with them? Are they left out to be on their own to kind of figure this out themselves? Wait, you're starting to date already? That's all what question always comes. Everybody thinks it's too fast all, all the time, right? Too fast. Wait, you didn't wait long enough. Wait a minute. Have you thought about the people that you're dating? H have you thought about who it is that you're going out with? That girl's crazy. Yeah, yeah, she, she act like a Canaanite. Yeah, I, I, you know what I'm saying? That dude, that dude's like three times your age, you know? Whatever it is, whatever the situation is, in, be intrusive with your friends about their dating life. Smart, be, encourage them to make smart decisions. Listen, but be compassionate. Grieving people need your compassion. Be courageous because grieving people need you to be courageous because they don't know how to be in the time. 
Be present. It's so, all those three things, be compassionate, be courageous, and be present. Those are three critical things that your grieving friends need from you. They need you to help them make clear-headed decisions, and this did not happen for Judah. So from our text, Judah has sex with Tamar. Though he was unaware of it at the time, had sex with his daughter-in-law. And so Judah didn't have any payment. So they go in, they have their encounter, and he's like, uh, like I, I, ain't got, I ain't got no money. And so she's like, um, let me, how about some of those personal items? Certain items that would have identity for him, the signet and his, and his ring and his staff. And, and so that would be like somebody giving you, like you giving them your, your driver's license and your social security card. And so it'd be like, if that encounter happened today, it'd be like, well, I don't have, I, I don't have any money, ma'am. Uh, and you'd be like, but here's my social security number. How dumb is that? that that'd be really dumb. Uh, but that's the kind of situation that he found himself in. And so now as you get into this text, if you look back, if you kind of just take a pause right here, we kind of look back so through the history, and we, we have that to be able to look at. We can look at three generations of deceit that has now happened. And each one of them involves some type of identity and a goat. Go figure. I'm not kidding. Some type of identity and a goat. Jacob deceived Isaac by wearing what? Goat skin. Judah deceived Jacob by dipping Joseph's uh, uh, robe in what? Goat's blood. And now Tamar has deceived Judah and involved a disguise and some type of identity and a goat. Look at verse 18. It's already up here. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went to her and she conceived by him. So this child is not guaranteeing a grandchild for him. It's going to be his child. And so now Tamar is set to become the, ans- the, the inheriting ancestor of the line of Judah, one of the, the matriarchs of Israel, bearing the son of Judah himself. Now, what we see is Judah suddenly becomes not so proud of this deed. And so he sends his Canaanite friend uh, to settle up and get his possessions back. And so have you ever like been out somewhere and you have to leave your card and you, uh, and maybe you're, you know, out with some friends, you have to leave your credit card somewhere and you go home for the night and you get up the next morning and you're like pulling out your wallet to, to pay for breakfast and you're like, oh man, I don't have my ID or I don't have my credit card. Where, where did I leave that? I mean, we went to the restaurant and then we went to hear a band play and then we went to Crystal, and then, uh, <laughs> or just making that up. Uh, where in the world did I leave my credit card? You've got to kind of figure out where you went to, and you're like, all right, I'll have to retrace my steps to go back where I was. You go back, and you're like, uh, is, is my card here? No, I don't know where your card is. You, then you're hoping it's not at Crystal, because you never know what's going to happen there. Anyway, um, uh, but, so he sends his friend, and the prostitute's gone. Like, nobody's there. 
And, 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 so he's, and, and they was like, I don't even know who you're talking about. I, I don't know where, who in the world do you, who you speak of. So Judah and Hira is like, you know what? Let's just forget this ever happened. This is probably the best thing to do. Just forget all this night ever happened, and we'll just keep moving forward. Look, look what the text says in 19. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adolamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was with Enion on the roadside? They said, no cult prostitute's been here, bro. Uh, so he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here, bro. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. I love biblical language. It's just funny to me sometimes. I mean, I sent her a goat, and she wasn't there. So let's just forget it. So eventually, the text tells us that Judah ends up, so, 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 so Tamar in the whole disguise ends up getting pregnant. And then she tries to hide it. She goes back, she puts on, you know, her regular clothes, and she goes back to her life. Well, then uh, she becomes pregnant. We established that. And, and Judah finds out about it a little bit later. Look what verse 24 says. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and, let's, and let her be burned. Let's just burn her. So Judah was quick. There was a horse there. It's called the high horse. And Judah decides to get on it. And so he jumps up on his high horse really quick. It's like, she's had sex. And she's not married. And she's pregnant. And she's putting us all to shame. And, and so let's set her on fire. Yeah. But Tamar pulls out the ace in the hole. Look what she says in verse 25. As she was being brought out to be burned, uh, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom this belongs, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. And Judah was like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> and Judah identified them. Look what the text said. Judah identified them and said, she's more righteous than I. Since I didn't give her to my son, Sheila. That's what I should have done. I didn't do it. This Tamar is more righteous than I am. Judah admitted that Tamar was righteous and taking matters into her own hands. And he admitted that he had not been righteous. One of those Mari Povich moments. You are the father. Now Tamar suddenly was exalted and Judah was humbled. Looking again at verse 26, because it's a pivotal moment, this is the first hint of a change taking place in Judah. Judah identified them and said, she's more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not know her again. He publicly admitted his moral failings. Yes, you know, she, he was caught in the act, but sometimes God takes us down some really unsuspecting paths to conform us into the image that he desires for us. Sometimes God takes us down some unsuspecting paths 
to conform us into the image that he desires for us. It may seem like it's the worst thing in the world that's happening when you're in the middle of it. Sometimes it's just his shaping us and forming us in the middle of the whatever that situation is to conform us into the image of Jesus, to put us in some really difficult situations, hopefully put some of those things behind us. Eventually, Judah would be the one that pleads for his brother. We'll, we'll get to that text a little bit later in Genesis. He pleaded for his brother Benjamin uh, for his life, and, and Judah even offers to, to give himself as a pledge to save his brother. That, that's not the Judah we see right here. That's the Judah that would become later in our text. What we're seeing in our text today is the hidden hand of God, always at work, always working, even in the middle of our deep sin, to form us and conform us and to do it to Judah and to do it to you and to me to make us into the man or woman he wants us to be. This was the beginning for Judah. Let's finish this text and we'll wrap this up. 27 says this. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, out put, uh, one put out a hand and the midwife took uh, and tied a scarlet thread to the hand saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, a brother came out and she said, what breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Uh, afterward, the brother came out with a scarlet thread to his hand and his name was called Zerah. And so this harkens back to Jacob and Esau, kind of the struggle in the room, remember that? Uh, the struggle in the womb, and, and it resulted in a reversal of who was to come out and who was to be the firstborn. And, and in both cases, the younger came out and the older was called to serve the younger. It happened before and it's happening again. Listen to this, listen. God elects whom he will. God elects whom he will. Now, I know that election is one of those squirrely uh, doctrines that everybody gets all nervous about, okay? You may not come from a church that, that's ever taught an election, or if, you, if, they, if they taught an election, it was like those bad people that teach election over there at that other church, uh, that may be the church that you grew up in, the church that I grew up in until I actually read my Bible, and God is always, say always, always electing people in the scriptures. He's always choosing people. And it starts, and we've seen it all through Genesis, and it just continues all through the scriptures. You, know, you may not like that doctrine. You may not like the way that it feels, but the Bible is full of election. God choosing his people. God choosing people to accomplish his plan. God working and uh, uh, willing to work for his good pleasure full of it all through the scriptures. We see it happening right here in the text. So we go, so what? What do, what do we do with all this? Tamar, the Canaanite, who began outside the people of God, turned out to be a heroine for God's people. Outside the, the family of God, don't go over there and marry those people. Don't go over there and take one of those. Don't mess with those people. She becomes the heroine that ends up saving the line of Judah. The Judah Tamar story teaches us that God's purposes are always interconnected with the growth and development of people. 
God is always at work in his children's lives, shaping you and me to conform to his image, to accomplish his purposes. He's always doing that in our lives. Andrew Reed said this, uh, he's a commentator on this, and this is what he said. In this way, it's possible to see that all of life as the medium of God's activity. He is not just active when we read our Bible and pray. We happy about that, right? He's also active when we live in our world. Hence, when we wake up tomorrow, we don't wake up to a day without God. Tomorrow is God's day. For he made it, formed it, and works in it. What's more, he wants you to enter tomorrow determined to be his person in it and to let Jesus be formed in you as you allow his word to interact with your situation. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and basically says the same thing in Philippians chapter 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is amazing news. God it goes ahead of us for the life that we're living, right? Amen? Hallelujah? Yeah, that, that's good news that God is always at work in and among us, always working out. He's way ahead of us. He already knows what's planned. He already knows what he has planned for you. And so he is always working, even in the good, bad, good and bad situations, for our good. One last thing that's interesting in this. Tamar is the first of five women in the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew chapter one. If you go read chapter, Matthew chapter one, Tamar is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar... Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, okay? Why do we get those women and not Sarah and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel? Those are very different groups of women. So these four mentioned that, that I talked about, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, you know what they are? They're all Gentiles, uh, Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite, and Bathsheba was a Hittite. And enlisting these ladies, it's, the, it's declaring that Jesus is the hope for the Gentiles. And all the Gentiles said, Amen. "Yeah, you all Gentiles, just FYI, we all Gentiles." And and so Jesus is showed. Jesus is the hope for Gentiles. He's the hope for you and me. He's he's our hope. He's the people, we're born outside Israel, but Jesus becomes our hope. He uses people outside of Israel to bring in the family of God. We're happy about that, Gentiles. Each of these women had really uh, irregular and, and, and a potentially scandalous marriage, but their relationships were part of God's providential plan that he had for bringing the Savior into the world links in the chain for the Messiah that was to come. And these ladies paved the way for Mary, who in reality had her own scandalous birth. I mean, she wasn't married and she becomes pregnant. That in itself is a scandal. And these ladies were paving the way even for Mary's birth. Look at this. God works his will even in the middle of the whispers of scandal. God works his will even in the middle of the whispers of scandal. It's even your scandal. Even the scandal that you're a part of right now, God works his will even in the middle of those kind of things. 
I'm not telling you to sin more that grace may abound more. By no means. But I am telling you this. When you do sin, grace abounds even more. Okay? I'm not telling you go do it. But I'm telling you when you do it, when sin, sin abounds what? Grace abounds even more. What a God we serve. He's so great that his hidden hand is constantly surprises us in the works of history and in our lives today. In the mind life, he surprises me when I do dumb, stupid stuff. In your life, that he hadn't killed you, uh, it surprises me. Just kidding. Surprises he doesn't kill all of us, right? Working in the hearts of his people for mine and your benefit. Hey, folks, you think you've blown it? You think you've committed some sin that God cannot redeem? You think God can't love someone like you? You think you're unsavable because of your history? Here's some good news. The Bible is not a book about good people doing good things. It's a book about God, a good God doing good things for bad people. Bible is not a book about good people doing good things. Lord knows we've seen that. It's a book about good God doing good things for bad people. That's good news. Today's story, listen, is for you. Today's story is for you and me. God took a twice-widowed woman who posed as a prostitute and had sex with her father-in-law that continued the lineage that God himself promised that one day would produce the Savior of the world. How about that? God can and will redeem your story as well. No matter what it's been like, no matter what it is today, God is a God of redeeming love. Let me pray for us.